Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Guttural Response. Uh, we're just a couple of dads that uh, are really passionate about Magic the Gathering and movies and music and stuff like that. And uh, we just felt like we wanted to talk about some of the stuff that we. Yeah, you guys, uh, are into. if you want to listen or not, just follow two old men with <laughs> passions about cardboard games and uh, what we watch and listen to. Uh, I'm Marvin Reyna. I'm Michael Garrisich. And uh, yeah, we are the Guttural Response. And uh, this is our inaugural episode. We are one week out of Dreamhack. Uh, Dreamhack. Yeah. Uh, we were at Dreamhack Atlanta for the regional championships. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't qualify for the regional championships. <laughs> it's really hard to actually get some time <laughs> off from kids and things like that to actually yeah. compete. So that's just how it ended up being. Yeah. No, I competed a lot. I suck. <laughs> um, but no, I qualified for uh, DreamHack San Diego, so um, let's see how that goes. But DreamHack, um, while a new experience for me, we, we've done a lot of magic conventions, GPs, Opens, um, nothing like DreamHack before. No, no, DreamHack was, was an interesting experience, but I, I have to say I liked it a lot better than the the open atmosphere like that we're used to in the past and GPs because I mean pretty much you're just forced to get into the magic um, uh, you have to, to pretty much either sell stuff or you're watching people play or you're just you know you're, you're stuck at a tournament but with DreamHack if I ever like feel like overwhelmed I could just go watch people play competitive StarCraft that you know I, I don't play StarCraft anymore but uh, it's always fun to watch people actually compete in uh, high-level tournaments, and and you had that option, and there was so much going on. Like there was like actually like pretty okay food. Uh, there was you know drinks everywhere that you could just buy. I mean GPs and opens. There's like one stall, and then there's like a Chick Fil A. Yeah, and that's all you get. Well, we kind of got lucky uh, <laughs> with uh, the sponsors. Um, not normally a Monster Energy drink drinker. <laughs> but they were giving out free monsters, and <laughs> I was accepting weekend. free monsters. <laughs> all weekend. Um, just handing you them. And, and, like, I'd see kids like, this is, oh, this is my sixth monster. That's nuts. That's, you shouldn't do yeah. that. <laughs> I, I stopped at one and a half. <laughs> Even though I brought, like, three home, three back with uh, back to the Airbnb with us. Just one and a half. Uh, I'm not going to go too crazy on those. That. Peach O-ring, peach O-ring. Yeah, that, the, <laughs> uh, the peach ring flavor, that, that was actually pretty good. Um, yeah, the Dreamsicle is like my favorite monster flavor ever. I'm glad that they came out with that because like, I know a lot of other um, energy drinks had that flavor, or at least similar, but the, the one that Monster came out with is actually fantastic. Yeah, but, and uh, I actually had a chance to talk with Huey, and I told him, um, Huey Jensen, the president of Organized Play at Wizards of the Coast, um, I let him know how I felt at first when I found out that DreamHack was the tournament organizer for the regionals. And I thought, why is a video game... Like, well, for, at first I thought, who the hell is DreamHack? Yeah, sure. You know, not being into uh, the esports scene like that. Um, I had no idea who they are. When I looked them up, I was like, why Why DreamHack? You know, you have, Wiz you have Star City Games, you have Channel Fireball... Uh, you have the guys up north, the NRG series, yep. running these tournaments, TCG player. Um, all these tournament organizers um, that have done GPs or big tournaments in the past, and you're choosing DreamHack. Like, this is this is weird. But then after being there, I was like, this 
this whole atmosphere was was fun. So yeah. you have like the esports and tabletop mixing together. Um, a lot of stuff that could have been done differently on the magic side of everything. Oh, totally! Like um, the day one uh, was absolute, like absolutely a nightmare. Um, pretty much like all tournaments had to be done on paper because the the MTG Melee app was just not working properly. Yeah. So like. Uh, whenever we were doing pods for the last minute qualifiers, you'd have like just judges scrambling to like, as my phone, uh, scrambling to write down pods of eight, yeah. and then just write down everyone's like results, and uh, it was nuts. I was absolutely like worried that that would have been the case for the rest of the the weekend, but uh, at you know Saturday rolls around and everything you know just came kind of came together, um, which is great. I mean. Uh, the uh, I was in like a sealed 10k, which to be honest, I don't think I'll ever do competitive sealed again because you spend like two hours registering your deck and like actually like building it, and that's all yeah. great. But it, it, I mean, geez, for we started at 10:30 and I think it didn't end until 11, which is nuts. Yeah, I, I've never seen uh, sealed tournaments like that. Um, I had no idea that the format or or how they ran it. Which um, let us know if, if this is the normal way of uh, them doing things. But I saw you guys had to open your packs, pass your openings to the person sitting in front of you. Yes. And they had to mark down every single card that you yes. got. And then you have to confirm everything that you've gotten just to make sure that they're not, you know, messing with anything. And, you know, that you, you have everything that you open. Um, which is all what... Actually, that is, that is the normal protocol for those. Um, the only issue I have is just how much time they take like if it would have been a modern tournament it's, it's totally different a modern or pioneer um we're primarily modern players but we've we've picked up pioneers since wizard is, seems like that's what they want to focus on so uh, if we want to be competitive we have to pick up pioneer um but i mean even those tournaments you know you you don't feel as like committed like i went two and oh and then went zero and two, so my 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 deck was pretty busted. It was you know Jeskai <laughs> soldiers, but uh, every time someone played like one of these huge bomb artifacts in the set, that was it. I mean that's that's the game. Like I got Portal to Phyrexia twice, which is absolutely busted. Uh, oh, Portal to Phyrexia is uh, it's a crazy card. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's it's actually. Uh, Probably the best card in the set, in my opinion. Well, the crazy thing about it is, is I would say Portal to Phyrexia and uh, Myrel. Myrel? Uh, is, is it Myrel? I, I gotta look uh, this up. Let me pull her up here. But these were the two cards, and I still believe they're the two most expensive cards in the set. But they were the ones most spoken of. Yeah, Myrel. Okay. Uh, yeah, most spoken of when it came to spoiler season. And honestly, I see it. There's a lot of other cards that went under the radar that are actually seeing a lot more play. Um, to me, the biggest one being Haywire Might. Yeah, Haywire Might is absolutely busted in uh, competitive play. Specifically, it's it's in Modern, and I mean, even in Pioneer, it's pretty good. Um, so it's tutorable by Urza Saga, which means that, like, you know, if you're, like, standing under a Chalice or something, like Hammer Time or Affinity has these... Uh, you know, if you play Chalice on zero and you're pretty much forced to deal with it, 
but Haywire Might gives you an out in the main deck. I mean, a lot of a lot of decks are playing one or two, or one usually one in the main. Um, Affinity, Hammer Time, and um, Hardened Scales. You know, all the good artifact decks. Yeah, um, I saw uh, Spike, who aspiring Spike on on Twitch and Twitter. Um, he recently played this this food deck. Are you talking about the one that has the the liquid metal torque and coating that turns lands on, and then he blows them up with the Aeromite? Um, no, it was. I'm pulling up the list right here. Um, oh, that one. Yeah, so it, it plays uh, Asmorandomatica Diastina Caldicar. Um, if you're ever going to say that card's name, you respect it and say it in full. Yeah, Esmeralda Martica Dice in a Colder card. Um, card. But running four of the Scrapyard Mutt, uh, oh. four Seventh Steel Seeker, which I believe that card in this type of deck, because this is basically a Underworld Cookbook food deck, um, will churn through your deck so quick. Oh, yeah, that's actually really neat. It's still playing Feast. Uh, yes, it's back to playing Feasting Troll King. Yeah, that's really funny. so. So feasting troll king is a wincon with finale devastation. Oh sure, uh, but the Saren Steel Seeker it says uh, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it into your graveyard. So, your your do your whole underworld cookbook, oval chase, uh, daredevil, make the food, bring it back, doing that multiple times a turn. You're just going through your deck. You know, you find you have a bunch of food out. You find feasting troll king. Well, let's discard that, bring it back. Now you have a seven six. Oh, that, like, yeah, that neat. is actually really neat. Um, yeah, um, but I saw him. He was playing against, um, and this is a, a modern deck. He was playing against um, humans. Humans. I believe he was playing against humans. No, I'm sorry. He was playing against uh, Hammer Time. I was going to say, Humans is, hasn't been relevant for a little bit since Fury was printed, I think. So, if if you are able to watch his video on uh, YouTube, um, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a blow up. So, his opponent swung with a hammer and a Shadow Spear attached to um, a Pure Steel Pallet. Brings him down to one. He untaps and has... The third uh, chapter on Urza Saga trigger. Yeah. He goes and gets Haywire Mike. Blows up Hammer. Sure. Goes and gets... Um, uses Finale Devastation because Haywire Mike, if you don't know what the card is, it is a one-drop artifact creature. Yeah, so it's a one-drop artifact creature. You could pay green and sacrifice it to exile target art, artifact or enchantment. Card is really good. Yeah. So. Oh, and you gain two life too. Yeah, and you gain two life. Yeah. So he was able to play his uh, fetch. Yeah. Fetch a basic forest, finale for one, to go get another haywire might from the deck. Sure. Blow up the shadow sphere, and stabilize enough where next turn he played. Another uh, cookbook, mm-hmm. and had was able to do three activations of Asmo um, per turn. So any creature he played, just dead. So this this haywire might I'm seeing it 
play in. Uh, first of all, any deck that plays green is not playing him. Um, in Hammer Time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen Hammer Time splashing green for this yeah. specifically. Like, they'll run a Temple Garden. Yeah, or a lot of them are, are moving away from. Like, the non blue white lists are doing just the mono white and Horizon Canopy. Yeah. Um, Amulet. Amulet's definitely playing it. Um, <clears throat> you'll be able to. Like, you can't fetch it up in Amulet, but being able to have a creature you can have on a battlefield. That just sits there until you, you know. I mean, you, you could, need it to destroy a. You a could blood summoner's wound. pact if it really is that big of a deal. Well, summoner's pact needs a screen. Oh, creature. screen creature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> just like this is the one I've seen uh, the biggest flash. Um, the deck that Spike was playing, um, great guy by the way. Met him at a uh, DreamHack. Uh, got a token sign from a friend of mine for a friend of mine who loves this stream. Um, but another card he's playing in his deck, this scrap, scrapwork mutt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two drop two one. Loots on its ETB or something. Like yeah, that. with unearth with unearth yeah. one red and one and one. I yeah. Think. So it's like, you know, hey, I got a two one. I got a blocker. Draw a card. Body two mana. You know, it dies. Cool. I just saved myself some life. Or if it wants to eat a removal spell, fine. You can bring it back later. Yep. Do it again. And it's it's these little cards that I'm seeing are the ones making like the biggest splash when they really went under the radar during uh, preview season. I mean, since we're talking about Brother War, um, personally, I I think the limited experience is really fun. Um, but I I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in that the the set is an artifact set, but it doesn't really do a whole lot for established artifact archetypes, if that makes any sense. The, yeah, like I, I I saw, um, as much as an artifact deck as it is, I saw nothing really in addition for Hammer Time, mm-hmm. um, other than people trying to splash for Haywire Might. I didn't see anything real get added for Affinity decks or, you know, for the fringe players that are still playing Urza, Urza decks. There's... I'm surprised I didn't see like a, like a zero drop artifact yeah, at all. Yeah, I, I wanted to see a zero drop artifact power stone uh, that enters tapped and can only be used for artifact a bit, or you know, same thing as all the other power stones, but it's just a zero mana artifact that enters tapped. That wouldn't have broken anything, and that would have given some artifact archetypes a little bit more uh, help. Because, I mean, it, Modern Horizons 2 is absolutely brutal for most of them. I mean, yeah, it got a lot of them Urza Saga and Thought Monitor and stuff like that. But, like, it it can't beat Fury or, like, Forced Vigor or, like, some of these cards. I mean, uh, Brotherhood's End is absolutely busted uh, as a, a hate piece for artifacts. Um, Brotherhood End is a... Uh, it's two red, one... It either does three damage damage to each uh, planeswalker or creature, or it destroys all artifacts CMC three or less, which is really gross. Uh, it's it's better than you know Hidetsugu consumes all. It's better than you know a lot of these hate pieces that have been printed just specifically for artifacts recently. But I mean, that, it seems like every set that you know could be good for artifact decks. It's like we also print like the worst hate possible like absolutely busted yeah i don't i don't see um 
decks like uh, and Soul Artifact at making comeback whatsoever at all. No, no. Like, so like uh, in Pioneer specifically, um, I mean, there's no. I mean, in Soul is a deck, and so is there's the is the Boros uh, Artifacts deck that's been showing up, but it's. I mean, it's it's just not it's not putting up any results that are significant, especially with mono green or black red or you know some of these busted decks that are just absolutely like the the benchmark because I mean especially with this the way that the the meta went at the R, um, the RC uh, pretty much mono green made up all of twenty percent or twenty two percent of day one. Uh, and then a bunch of decks, you know, absolutely beat it out of top eight. But uh, top 32, uh, there was a lot of mono green. I think it was probably like 30% mono green uh, in just the top 32. Um, I, I personally think the deck probably should have been banned before the RC. But even even post-RC, I think it's to, Card of the Great Creator is probably just way too busted for the format. Being able to access, uh, you know, sideboard cards in the main and being a win con all in itself and shutting down hate pieces against the deck are are all great excuses that it doesn't need to be in the format. Um, I don't think Mono Green ever needed a, a combo kill in order to be relevant. Yeah, and I think especially with, with Karn and um, Mono Green being as, as widespread as it is, it's it's gonna hinder new deck ideas involving Brothers War. Oh sure. So there's gonna be the cards like you know uh, Brotherhoods and um, Obliterating Bolt. Obliterating Bolt completely just you know made uh, Lava Coil obsolete. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's gonna see cards that that are gonna see play, but there's gonna be no new <clears throat> archetypes coming from this set because of mainly Card the Great Creator. Well, even then, though, there isn't, there wasn't, like I was saying before, there isn't anything that's going to help artifact decks in the set. I mean, there really isn't. Um, there's nothing low to the ground that they'd want. Um, nothing that helps existing archetypes. In fact, only hinder them because of all these hate pieces. Like, I mean, geez, they printed the Stone Brain in the set, which makes Mono Green even better. The fact that it can loop. The stone brain. If you get somehow get rid of you know chain veil or whatnot, you can you can just stone brain your entire deck. Yeah, still Why a good not? card though. <laughs> stone brain is definitely a good card. Um, but speaking of mono green, yeah, it was uh, eleven decks in the top thirty-two at DreamHack, which was won by one of my favorite decks, um, mono white humans. Yeah, <laughs> mono white humans is probably one of the only decks that can absolutely just be faster than most other archetypes. Um, I personally was playing Bant Spirits all weekend. Um, not to much success, but uh, Mono White is, is a deck that I never absolutely want to see uh, because they're just so fast. They build up such a board presence so quickly that even if I disrupt them a little bit, uh, it's it's almost not enough. Um, and people tend to say that, that Rakdos is a bad matchup for Mono White, and I feel just... In in that matchup, you you have to mulligan to. You must keep a playable hand, but you need winning announcement. Oh, totally! Like winning announcement is a house. Um, but surprisingly, it was what eight different decks in the top eight of the uh, RC. Yeah, uh, 
I'm happy about a White Humans one. Um, but we also had a one Rakdos mid-range, one Izzet Phoenix, one Lotus Field combo, one Mono Blue Spirits, uh, Celestia Auras, which when I first saw that deck, I started thinking about like the Auras deck or the Enchantments deck in in Standard right now. And that, that deck's a lot of fun. Um, but I, was, I wasn't expecting it being, you know, Boggles. Yeah, boggles. It's, <laughs> it's just literally Boggles. Um, and it even, it even runs Grenade Cover Scout. Uh, but, I mean, Slippery Boggles, not legal, so that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it has a really good black-red matchup. Okay. Because, I mean, if especially if you land a Glade Cover Scout, they can't beat it. And Light Paws gives you so much, you know, value, it's it's ridiculous. I just um, love seeing Stram in it. <clears throat> I, was, I was surprised with how much Phoenix was there. There was a lot of Phoenix. I think it's because Phoenix has a, a decent matchup against Rakdos. Um... Rakdos does have a lot of removal, but Phoenix just keeps recurring them. Um, yeah, pretty much they have to get the new uh, Shade, because they stopped running Kalidus for that Shade. Oh, yeah. Um, Misery Shadow. Misery that, Shadow, yeah. That card, um, I was playing the Gruul Vehicles deck, and I took somebody's Misery Shadow and won because uh, the pump ability is one colorless. Yeah. A, a, a colorless mana, or, or any generic mana, pump it, plus one, plus one. Um, but that's that's broke. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly broke. Um, I even saw uh, what was it? It was a, a mono black versus um, mono green, and they played just a bunch of razory shadows and a bunch of things that made their creatures unblockable, or they gave them fear. I think it was whatever they ETB'd. I can't remember the name of the creature, uh, but that deck was pretty sick too. Um, I, I like seeing these these new. Um, ways of beating mono green because mono green is basically you know pioneers tron you have to be able to beat mono green and if you can't then you're probably just wasting your time yeah and that's the thing like if the rest of the mana minus mono green um it's it's very cyclical like yeah it's you healthy. know this deck beats still this deck this deck beats this deck you know it's all yeah. it, it all goes to pairings then you know it's not like you know mono white's automatically going to lose to rakdos because of all the removal they have, but now it's like, you know, Mono White's not getting a buy because they're playing against Mono Green. Exactly. You know, a Rakdos opponent isn't going to see somebody play Mono Green and be like, all right, I'm done. Like, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, and, to t- and to finish out the top eight, we had, there was also one Enigmatic Fires and Azori's Control, which surprisingly there was a good number of that at the RC. Um, before this, there wasn't much talk of Azorius Control. I know there, uh, people were playing the Esper and Esper variants for a while. Azorius started dying out a little bit, and then surprisingly came back um, in in a good amount. Let me see if I can get the metagame here. Uh, this is 500 decks I have on my screen right now. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you, Brad Nelson, for MTG Melee. Uh, as long as it works. As long as it works. Jesus. There were 51... Control. Wow, that's that's surprising. 51... And their match win percentage was 52%. And Mono White had 64 decks represented with uh, 53% win rate. Bant Humans had a 60... Or had the highest win percentage at uh, 60%. 60.7. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Lotus Field also did pretty well. Yeah, Boros Heroic. Um, 
there was two decks in the RC with a 57.8% uh, win rate. And that's a deck I'm, surprising, uh, I'm surprised we didn't see that much of. Um, I know their early creatures or early game is a little bit rough against Rakdos. But the deck is so explosive and out of nowhere it just kills people. Phoenix had 99 decks. <laughs> is it Jeez. Phoenix? That's, that's a lot of decks at 50% win rate, win percentage. Yeah, and there were 900, I think it was 980 around players. Yeah, something like that. Oh, no, it was 930, I think. Remember? And, of course, the number one deck, 207 copies, Mono Green Devotion. At 48, only 48 match win percentage. Uh, and that's mostly because a lot of these decks, a lot of people are expecting a large amount of Mono Green, and they were right. 207 decks out of 930 is... That's a lot. That's a big meta representation. And, and you know, at least in my personal experience in Modern, that usually means something probably needs to give. Um, you know, a Splinter Twin was only, what, 10% of the meta before getting banned? Um, KCI was 5% of the meta? And that got banned, although I understood that ban totally. I hated it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you were on that deck. Um, uh, but, I mean, I just think I think having a win con like Con the Great Creator, like, taking that away means it has to be a fair stoppy deck that can be interacted with. Well, interacting with Planeswalkers is not easy in Pioneer. Um, there's not that much in the way of answers, and there's not a whole lot in the way of fast creatures. So, yeah. Yeah, unless you're playing Mono Red. Um, oh, God, how many decks play Haste Creatures? None. Other than I mean, Mono Red, right? The Bowback Courier. <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully Obliterating Bolt helps the format. You know, but that still only does four <clears throat> damage, and, and Kiora comes in with uh, seven loyalty. Does so, it exile? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, it is just straight up an upgrade to uh, Lava, Coil. Lava Coil. Yeah, Lava Coil is now a completely useless, uh, unnecessary card. Um, the RC was not without any controversy as well. So they, there were the issues with the pairings at first. Um, one thing I didn't like about the RC, <clears throat> where, where it was held in the hall, they had like a room separate for it. So they had like vendors, artists, um, some streamers, and tables on one end of the hall. Yeah, that was like the only bathroom too in the entire Magic yeah. side. Like they blocked off all the bathrooms to uh, the other areas because like the VIP section where all the people built their towers and stuff was was all like separate. Like and you couldn't you couldn't go through and use the bathroom. And where that bathroom was, you know, the RC behind this, this wall, it had a few entrances, but, like, zero circulation. And walking in there, it smelled like a musty locker room. Oh, totally. Because you had the bathroom, and then, you know, thousand Magic players and spectators, just everybody crapped in that room. <clears throat> but, um, the controversy, uh, uh, cheating scandal. Yeah, yeah, uh, a nearly undefeated... Angels player. Um, I believe he was defeated. He was undefeated day one. Yeah, I think something like that. Um, played with uh, four of the new Secret Lair Collective companies. I'm sure people have heard about this, 
but uh, it's worth noting. Um, and because of that, and they were specifically curled, like all the new Wizards foils have been uh, pretty terrible. Draw my phone again. Um, pretty terrible overall in their quality. Like, literally, they'll come to you as Sprinkles, like straight yeah. up, like, like that. That's why I don't buy any, you know, newer foils unless I can tell that they're, you know, decent quality. Uh, but specifically those were, were curled and the judges were able to cut to it 100% of the time without fail. Um, I remember seeing specifically a, a stream with him uh, where he cast a collected company on his upkeep, which is usually not correct to do. Which, uh, is, which is that... So when the whole situation arose and everybody's talking about, you know, the curled cards... Um, when I played Bant Humans, um, I did have random foils, but I had four foil. It was store championship uh, collected companies. Um, Werewolf pack leaders were foil. I had random foils in the deck. <clears throat> um, I've played collected company in three different formats. But I like collected company is one of my favorite magic cards. Sure. I was playing Coco too. Never once did I ever cast it in PLP. No, no. So, like, the only reason why you'd ever want to cast Collected Company on your upkeep is if you know what's on top, almost. And and now this is just my speculation, but uh, after watching that footage a few times, it almost looks like the top card of his deck is curled. So he might be wanting to avoid drawing that Collected Company. Maybe... See, it's just, the timing of that is weird. <clears throat> like, if I see a collected company on top of my deck, and I know it's there for any reason, I'm going to want to draw a collected company. Sure, but maybe, I, this, I, I don't know, I don't exactly understand the situation. Because I, I, I thought about it, I thought about it a lot, like, because I did read uh, the player's uh, Twitter thread where, where he talked about what happened, and all the blatant calls for cheating, um, which, what gets me the most is that upkeep of collected company but if for any reason I scry to the top or or if I know there's a collected company on top I want to draw that collected company sure because I want another one in my hand oh yeah because guess what I have collected company in my hand I know at least the next six cards are not going to be a collected company sure um the curling issue that's I, I don't see how that can automatically be deemed as cheating I, unlike most Magic players, riffle shuffle. You're crazy. I. <laughs> You're so crazy. Uh, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, we are dads, we are old, and I have arthritis, so <laughs> riffle shuffling hurts less, especially in, like, eight-round tournaments. Um, but the curling itself, like, I don't, I don't see the biggest issue. It's like, okay, judges can cut to it. Well, judges aren't cutting to it while it's sitting on the table flat. Sure. You know, you're not you're at a higher angle. I don't see how anybody can be like, okay, I know that card's there. Um, I can see, like, in decks, in, in formats like Modern, where fetching is prevalent, uh, deck manipulation is prevalent. In Pioneer, not so much. Uh, well, the the reason why that that's considered cheating is when you're doing your initial shuffle, you can kind of see where you're at as far as where you're, where that specific cards were. Like, um, there was a, a modern controversy at the Pro Tour a, a 
decent bit of time ago, uh, where a Japanese player, can't quite remember his name, uh, marked his Tron lands, specifically yeah. the tower. Or actually, I think he marked all of his Tron lands, but he did it with them. In, di- different, in different quarters. Um, so he could see it if he was just looking at it a certain way. So he can know, oh, I'm going to draw my tower, so I don't need to fetch this map now. Or, or something like that. Um, maybe this specifically... I mean, I'm not even saying he's necessarily cheating, but I'm saying this would be, you know, the thought process involved with having marked cards is you know how to cut your deck in a certain way and hand it to your opponent to be like, okay, well, I'm going to put my Cocos like this, and I'll cut to one of them, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I, I believe the first day of the regional championships was uh, nine rounds. Yes. And I believe it was day two... That um, they looked at his deck and noticed that they can cut to it, but you're gonna tell me in nine rounds of magic, all the times that you're you've presented your deck to your opponent, you know your opponents are gonna shuffle, your opponents uh, are gonna cut your deck. Um, nobody said, "Hey, this looks wrong." Um, nobody said, like, you know, called a judge and said, "No." Uh, these cards look marked or they're foil or whatever. That's nine opponents with who knows how many judge calls they had during the tournament, if any, or how many judges are around there. Um, while I, I'm not defending and you're saying that he didn't cheat, it's weird. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like, you know, a lot more information needs to be provided or... Well, so I, I totally get what you're saying. I would think that, um, like, at, at least with me, it's really hard for me to notice that sort of stuff. Um, like, I'm so hyper-focused on what I'm doing and how to respond to what you're doing that I'm not going to be looking at your deck so much. Uh, that's me personally. I mean, that's probably a bad thing to say. You could cheat against me probably really easy. Um, but... You know, I, at least that's, you know, personally, I, I wouldn't be really paying attention to that. i just, you know, shuffle my opponent's deck and be like, there you go. See, I had to train myself to look at stuff like that because I'd be um, about to reveal how good I am at Magic the Gathering at a team event um, in Atlanta. This was a few years ago. Um, I used to be like that, hyper-focused into what I'm doing, thinking about what I'm going to do next, where I'm not fully paying attention to what my opponent's doing. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried about. And then, at one point, I'm playing uh, in the Legacy seat, and my hands are up like this, and I'm thinking, and I'm blocking most of my playmat, mm-hmm. you know, from view. And my opponent casts crap rotation, I'm like, okay. Because um, I'm still, you know, go ahead, cast your spell. I'm still thinking uh, about, like, my next plays. Opponent casts another one-drop spell. And uh, Tom Ross looks over and he's like, oh, spell's just resolving over there. And my opponent, uh, my teammate, Dalton uh, Osmond, looks over. And that's when I realized I had a chalice on one the whole time. Oh, yeah. So I'm letting spells resolve into my chalice because I'm so into my head thinking about what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to train myself out of that. And, and because of, you know cheating in competitions, I'm always looking at like, you know, opponents drawing their deck, how they're shuffling, where their eyes are where they're shuffling. So I, I now I look away like I put my deck away or to my side, shuffle, all while looking at what my opponents doing. Yeah, sure. You know, I look and I, I count the cards in your hand that they draw, especially after uh, Mulligan's, you know, what they put back. Um but in, in competitive magic I 
I feel like a lot of people do that. Like everybody's picking up other people's decks. People are like trying to be vigilant or maybe it was just, you know, this is the first major competition since COVID, you know, outside of the NRG series. Oh, sure. You know, this is people's chance to get to the Pro Tour for the first time in years. Yeah. That, you know, maybe they, they, everybody's minds are probably focused on that or instead of, you know, the game as much. Um, well, I don't condone cheating whatsoever. I'm not going to call this guy a blatant cheater. Um, I play with random foils. Um, yeah, I mean, my entire model deck, modern deck is foil. Uh, but I would recommend if you're going to have foils in your deck, use all the or same. Use the, yeah, it's either all or nothing, or KMC Perfect Hards are fantastic for, like, foils in general. And you can you could probably get away with that. I would recommend it just because of this instant. But... Uh, KMC Perfect Hearts would highly recommend them. Highly. And um, if, if you're looking to sponsor anybody, KMC. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, speaking of the Pro Tour, it, it, it's a lot of things happened recently that that just weird things that Wizards done that like brought their I'm not going to say eccentricity to or you know to view. Just a lot of weird shit that they've done. Oh, totally. So, with the Pro Tour, I remember uh, it was one of the Pro Tours. They invited a Hearthstone player, Amaz. Yeah. Um, and and there was an uproar. Like you know, there's all these MTG pros or or not known or not as big streamers that could have got the invite. Oh sure. And I see where Wizards is trying to um, like expand uh, their. Their, their reach, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's weird. Like you, you have established people that are, are putting their all into magic, and you're you're handing them out, you know, handing out things to to just people of other games. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like they keep basically uh, shooting their own fan base in the foot, and then just kind of trying to to reach out to. Other yeah. groups, which I understand trying to, to add people to your brand, but at the same time, don't do it as the expense of your established Yeah, fans. and I and I see where, with Amaz, I saw him playing, and it, he really got into the game. And uh, I believe he was at the RC as well. Um, but most recently, uh, with his Magic 30, um, Magic 30 convention booster packs or whatever. Yeah, the, the $250 a piece packs. Yeah, um... They gave a bunch away to a Yu-Gi-Oh streamer. Yeah, Ruxin34. Um, I, in all my years of playing Magic, I've tried other games. I've tried Yu-Gi-Oh um, when it first came out. Uh, the original Star Wars card game, which honestly I miss. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Pokemon a little bit when it first came out. Didn't really understand it. Um, but as... Like, my magic journey moved on. There's very little intermingling between Yu-Gi-Oh! players and magic players. Oh, totally. So I know maybe a handful that would play both or switch from one to the other. Um, But with all these magic streamers, you have... um, Who's who's streaming at the the RC or at DreamHack? uh, Jim Davis. Yeah. I would love to see Jim Davis get those packs and open them. Sure. Um, Spike. Like, someone that's actually, like, promoting your game and being a, a healthy alternative to it. Now, yeah. I know that, personally, a lot of them have spoken out against this product. I, personally, am one of them. I hate this product. I hate everything about it. 
Um, but I mean, giving it something like to, to players that are actually established would have been great. I mean, they're basically giving these things out to to people like uh, Cassius Marsh and like some of these people that are already established rich people or influencers. It's like great. That's that's helping really no one. In fact, the, these people aren't even that enthused about the product. Yeah, like I, I would have loved to see, um, like Justin Parnell, sure, get get these cards because Justin Parnell is huge into cubing, um, and as much as these are proxies, they're perfect for cubes. You know, I mean, basically the whole Magic community is has pretty much like absolved them or not even absolved themselves, but have washed their hands of this, and they're just even more angry at wizards than they have been in quite some time it's funny enough even even in ruxton 34's video that he he actually had to make an apology video because he opened these packs had no idea what they were really uh i mean he might have some knowledge of mtg but um basically he had to make an apology because there was such a backlash on on what ended up happening and in in that specific apology video another Yu-Gi-Oh streamer i think he's Yu-Gi-Oh, um leonhart uh, said that Wizards came to him and offered to to sponsor him if he opened these packs for them, which is which is really crazy when you think about where their minds are at right now. You know, a lot of people are being burnt out by products being released so quickly. Uh, a lot of stores are even being burnt out because they're basically sitting on product that nobody wants. I don't know if anyone's seen what uh, the Brothers War Jumpstart is like, but it's absolute travesty of a product it's basically there's like five decks two ver or like two variations of each of those five decks but with the same rare so you only get five decks only 18 packs and it's the price of a full box so i i don't know what wizard's doing they're they're basically just shooting themselves in the foot over and over um i'm hoping that they they get their head out of their ass because they really need to a lot of people are just getting disillusioned as a whole on these these product schedules because it, everything's more expensive now, and in reality, not even not even like cardboard, but like everything's expensive. I went to Target the other day, and I bought like, I bought my wife a sweater. I bought uh, it was like a thirty dollars sweater, no big deal. But uh, like, I bought like a couple of snacks and like a, a twelve pack of Monster. It was like a hundred and ten bucks for no reason. Like, I bought like three snacks and a thing of like ground beef. That was it. So yeah, but that's that's that, that's that's also the illusion of of Target. <laughs> you go to Target. I'm going to buy this one thing. Next thing you know, you have a full shopping cart, and three hundred dollars later, you're like, I I didn't buy the thing that I wanted. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <No>? um, <laughs> yeah, we also forgot <laughs> we didn't get water filters. Didn't even get those. Of course, we didn't. Um, um, so uh, another thing that we will be talking about here, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, we are big fans of uh, music um, a lot. Uh, heavier genres um, and movies, TV shows as well and uh, I know Mike's excited uh, there's two albums being re-released yeah, yeah, so one of my favorite bands of all time is called Harakiri for the Sky and they're a post-modern black metal band but uh, which means basically they're, they're black metal but they have, you know, more uh, influences from like almost like punk genres and stuff like that fantastic band uh, what they're doing right now is they're re-recording -re -re their first two albums, uh, Aoki Gohara and uh, their self-titled. Uh, they're they're redoing it because the originals were. I mean, a lot of people find the originals, you know, endearing because the the sound is pretty muddy. 
Um, you know, the the albums were basically sounded like they were recorded in a garage, which a lot of people like. I'm not doubting that. But um, so they're re-recording those first two albums and re-releasing them on vinyl. Uh, I'm not a vinyl collector, but uh, I know a bunch of people that are. I just want the new music, and so far they've released a few tracks on each album, and they've been fantastic. And both of these are due out mid-December, which, I mean, I've already pre-ordered them. I'm already going to get them. I already got the shirts. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. Um, another album I want to talk about specifically is uh, uh, an old favorite of mine that has not actually put out music that I've enjoyed in quite some time. It's uh, In Flames. In Flames is a melodic death metal band. Um, it's been around forever, since uh, the 90s. And uh, they released a few singles off their newest album that are very similar to albums that they released, uh, specifically the album Clayman and Reroute to Remain, which were... I mean, that's started... Like, Reroute to, the Rema- to Remain is when they started sort of falling off. I still like the album. But uh, the new songs sound a lot like you know, their older stuff, which is fantastic. It's it's a newer twist on their older music. Same melodies, like one of them sounds exactly like a, a song called Moonshield, uh, which is one of my favorites. Um, so I'm super excited about that. The album's called Foregone. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked to see them back to their roots. Yeah, I'll definitely be picking up uh, those albums as well. Um I've always been kind of closed off with the music I listen to. Um, I'm a little old school where I'm like, eh, I don't want to listen to this. I'm just put some Pantera back on. Sure. You know, listen to some old Metallica. Uh, Metallica is a band I would not want to see ever re-record with an old album. No, absolutely um, not. <laughs> James Hetfield's voice has changed so much over the years. Well, he can't even, he, like, he can't yell anymore. He's just, like, yeah. kind of like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> speaking of Metallica... I heard a song off one of their newer albums called Hate Train, and it's so goofy. <laughs> like, like a lot of their music now is just goofy. It's like, uh, Dad's like, hey, what if, what if we make, like, a, a song about, you know, what if, what if, like, hate is like a train? I think that's actually, like, a, a, a lyric of that song. And uh, it's it's just so goofy. Like, and, even as a dad, it's goofy. And as, as iconic as Metallica is... Um, they started off teenagers in California, mm. like full of angst, angry. Let's let's express ourselves in music, and now you have these these heavily aged um, millionaires. Like, what, what do you have to sing about? Yeah. Like, like, give it up. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's the guys. Come on, settle down, Lars. We know you can't play drums. You never have been very good at the drums. Yeah, Lars, um, as iconic as, as Metallica is, always will be. It's my first concert ever. Uh, May 10th, 1994, Corrosion of Conformity opened up for them. Um, Lars isn't technical whatsoever. No, absolutely it's, not. It's, it's I mean, He does these fills that are so unbelievably basic, and he just plays in four and not even good four. Like, he can't play a lot of his stuff live. Specifically, the... The 16th notes he's playing in uh, one, whenever it's it's getting ready for the yeah. solo, he can't even keep those up live. Like it's bad. Like if you want to go look at them on like online, just just listen to like one live at all, and he could barely keep up. 
Yeah, like I, I, I've always been infatuated with drums. I have a drum set that I'm learning on, um, and listening to a lot of the older music I listen to. Uh, I think Metallica was probably the most basic, um, like uh, Vinnie Paul from Pantera. Like he wasn't the most technical drummer. No, um, but he was incredibly consistent. Yeah, um, I think. Out of the old music, I listened to the most technical was probably Igor Cavalera from Sepultura. Yeah, fantastic. Um, amazing drummer. Still, like, going at it now in, in uh, the Cavalera Conspiracy uh, with him and his brother, Max. Um, Sepultura went down when, <laughs> after Max left. Yeah. Because i seen him live with Derek Green, and I'm like, all right, Derek Green, like, he has a voice, but he, he's... What about all the songs that they sing in Portuguese? Yeah, yeah, Like... Um, but yeah, Mike, Mike opens up my eyes to a lot of new music. Um, I listen to a lot of different bands. Uh, most recent concert I went to because I really like the band, uh, Ice Nine Kills. Um, there, there's so many genres now. I don't even know what they are. Oh, totally. Like, opera, rock, <laughs> like he, every song's a story to tell, which, which I love storytelling in music. Um, I mean, basically looking like Coheed and Camry, where, like, their songs are just comic book covers. Yeah. Um, a lot that I listened to back then, uh, a lot of old uh, East Coast hardcore music with um, Hatebreed. Hatebreed changed their style. Like, they're, they they went from hardcore, like, two and a half minute, like, yeah. and now they're more of like a, a metal band yeah um but Jamie Jast is still one of my favorite singers um of all time so thank you Mike you know you show me new music and stuff I get to listen to and hopefully we'll be able to bring these uh albums you know and 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 songs that he teaches me about to you guys maybe you guys go to uh enjoy some of it as well yeah, and I think uh, music is incredibly important to your well-being, especially really angry stuff. It's fantastic. Um, I used to go to sleep listening to dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! As soon as that song came, because <laughs> again, age. Um, it was on a cassette player. I used to put the headphones on over my ears, and I had to get the flimsy, cheap ones oh, because yeah. if you got the good ones that were nice and hard. They would break if you slept on them. Get the flimsy ones, just lay there, make sure I don't move, so that the Headphones would stay on, and and as soon as Mother came on, I'm like, oh, okay, I can sleep now. <laughs> so actually, about that song, I had no idea what he was saying. Uh, the lyrics specifically before, if you want to bang heads with me. Yeah. I, I thought he was, I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> I still don't really even know what he's saying. I just thought it was funny because my one friend was a huge Danzig fan, and I always used to do that, just like <laughs> say that specific mumble, and he'd just be like, oh, "That's not what he says." So kind of like every every song that came out of Seattle from uh, nineteen ninety six to two thousand. <laughs> yeah. um, the what the movie Ted put it best. Oh uh, yeah, you could just <laughs> like every song sounded the same. No, totally. <laughs> Totally. Every every like, God, there was like there was a Mad TV sketch where all these singers literally sound exactly the same. <laughs> and and that's happened. Like I I listen to a lot of genres of music, and um, I haven't listened to like a new rap album in years because it's just not there anymore. 
I think the last great rap album I listened to was Kendrick Lamar because, like I said, I like storytelling. And from beginning to end, he told a story. And it wasn't just, you know, incoherent, leaned up. Were you just repeating the same lyric over and over? Uh, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang. Um, yeah. I, I don't condone violence, but somebody should break a radio every time that song comes on. <laughs> um, every time that song comes on, um, Jimi Hendrix turns in his grave. Yeah. It's, uh, that is not music. I mean, I've, I've I've never been the biggest rap fan, so I can't even comment on that, to be honest. But uh, I, I do appreciate, like, late 80s hip-hop, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, especially back then when they were willing, willing to, like, go beyond um, the walls and, and collaborate with anyone. Oh, yeah. Like Aerosmith and um, Run DMC or... Um, who, who did... Uh, Public Enemy. Yeah, it's Public, Public Enemy, Enemy and, and Anthrax. Anthrax. Yeah, <laughs> and then the noise. <laughs> uh, Ice Ice T made his own band. Um, oh, this is gonna annoy me if I don't know it. Yeah. Do you know that uh, Will Smith's Jaden P- or Jada Pinkett Smith was in a metal band? It's crazy. <laughs> it's real bad. Body Count. That was the name of Ice T's metal band. So, like, I see iconic 80s rapper, you know, 80s, 90s, and, and you know, he was willing to, you know, go do, do metal. Something like, like that, yeah. There's a lot more collaboration in music back then than there is now. Oh, yeah, everyone's just in their little box, and that's how they're going to stay, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it is what it is, I guess, unfortunately, but yeah. everyone's just stuck in their way. Um, another thing we're going to be talking about here, uh, movies, TV shows that we enjoy. Um, right now I'm currently watching, uh, Wednesday on Netflix, you know, the show about Wednesday Adams and few episodes in, I cannot recommend this show anymore than I'm not even saying it right. I recommend the hell out of the show. The show is, is great um because when i first started watching it i was like okay it's gonna be show the adams family they show the adams family in the beginning of you know gomez morticia everyone um man adams family's always been you know goofy family comedy with like dark humor thrown in yeah yeah and this is this is more of like murder mystery drama sure and all following wednesday and i think it's great like it's it's wonderful and a lot of nods to old um, things that happened in in Adam's family. Uh, a nod to the movie Carrie. That that was cool of them. Um, definitely recommend watching that. Um, something else I watched recently: uh, Black Adam. I, I still have not had a chance to see it. Um, I know it's on Disney Plus now. I think. Um, no, definitely not Disney Plus. It's not on Disney Plus. No, okay. like, it's DC. Ah, oh. <laughs> see how much I'm paying attention. Um. But I recommend it. Like, it, 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 serious movies have to have a sort of humor to it, um, to make it not, I would say, stagnant. That's not always the case, though. Have you seen Love and Thunder? That I said a bit of humor to it, <laughs> not forceful. Like, laugh at me now because I'm an idiot. Humor. Here, I'm gonna do something goofy. Oh, by the way, I have cancer. Yeah, like, oh, but look at me. I'm, I'm poor. Like, no. Like, they, they, 
oh god i hope they are allowed to like reset and remake that movie because christian bale was amazing oh he's fantastic he was the only person that actually was good in that whole movie yeah everyone else is just like i'm a big dumb idiot here's something really serious oh more but big dumb idiot time uh serious christian bale moment fantastic uh, I'm, I, here's a Christian Bale moment uh, uh, Thor's still a big dumb idiot in that moment and it just throws it completely off so like in, in Black Adam the movie has a serious tone throughout the whole movie the comedy bits are Black Adam the character learning learning new things and it's hilarious because it's like okay you know he's super monotone serious voice okay I'll do that but then does the complete opposite. It's like that's what you wanted. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's while it's a serious movie, those those tiny bits of comedy. It's like all right, it's it make made the movie enjoyable. Um, definitely easy to sit through. Um, unlike Love and Thunder, which I honestly think I still have ten minutes left of that movie to watch, and I, I'm I, just not watching it because I finished it because you know my whole family is watching it. I'm like, why not? And then. I finished it, and I'm like, wow, that was one of the worst superhero movies of all time. Especially coming, like, off the back of, like, Ragnarok, which was fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely great. And then they give us this, and it was just... Uh... Like, it felt like all the, the, the comedy in Ragnarok was organic. Oh, totally. That that whole everything in in, in Love and Thunder felt heavily pushed. Forced. Especially Incredibly with the serious forced. themes of Jane um, dying of cancer. And the thing that's killing her is, you know, it, becoming Thor keeps her alive, but at the same time, it's also draining her. And then you have Gore, the God Butcher, whose daughter was killed because a god didn't care, and he just wants to extract revenge. And then it's just like, I'm a goofy thunder god. Yeah. Like, I'm a big dummy. Look at me trip over this couch. Yeah, like that. That was that was unfortunate. Um, but hopefully. We move on to the most serious tones with the next Thor movie. Um, as long as it's not like um, Thor Dark World. To, to be honest, I'm kind of like... I'm a little burnt out on that sort of stuff. I think Disney needs to like... You know, do what I think Wizard needs to do. And just kind of slow things down a bit. It doesn't need to be a movie every four months. It doesn't need to be like a new super quippy super colorful event every single time just just slow down yeah like they came out with with phases one through four it felt like they were making movies to show the story yeah totally we're gonna start here with iron man oh my god iron man work let's build on to this yeah now it's like all right the the whole final story's done you know Everybody's assumption is the next story is is Doctor Doom mm-hmm. as a villain, which they've never one of my gotten right. Villains. Literally, my favorite uh, Marvel villain, actually. And it feels like they're just throw, picking their hand, like you know, in a bag, tossing here. Yeah, take this, sticks. take this for now. Yeah, like instead of just be like, all right, we're gonna take a few years off. Let's build on this. Um, and I know it's also hard for them to build on that. As uh, Doctor Doom as a villain, because as much as everybody wants Doctor Doom as a villain, or as the villain in the MCU, there's also the whole how to incorporate the X Men 
now that they have the rights to the X-Men. Oh, totally. So they're they're going to do the same thing that they've been doing for a while, is they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. They'll make a bunch of mediocre movies, and then everyone will forget about them. I mean, they've made how many fan, Fantastic Four reboots, and they've all been terrible. And it's not That's not all Disney, though. Um, yeah, that was all um, Fox. Yeah, it was Fox. I but... I, I just want I want a stereotypical Doctor Doom like the original where he's just he he's a super genius that has powers and he's like he's just wants to do his thing and just to be left alone for the most part like the whole uh, like his own country and stuff he just yeah. needs to like he needs to be that Doom not not like oh I'm just a computer nerd and I, I'm a uh, yeah, like just just make him doom. That's all you gotta do. Yeah, and and so far I do like the way they've introduced um, mutants. Um, actually, no, I like the way they introduced Professor Xavier. Sure. Not like, oh, I'm a mutant. Like you know, they did it with um, Marvel, Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, a couple episodes in, she's like, oh, I'm a mutant. Like, okay, cool. What's a mutant? Yeah. Why are mutants different than what Spider-Man is? You know? Um, Most recently in Wakanda Forever, everybody knows Namor's in it. He, a mutant. Like, okay, well, again, you guys are using this word, but there's no explanation of what mutants are. Yeah. You know? Which is what the X-Men pretty much... More about, yeah, yeah, you know, totally, and and they in the comic books explained what mutants were, um, and and the issues of them becoming mutants, you know, um, the reason why Magneto is how he is because yeah, he went through the societal, Holocaust and yeah. sees the, sees the thing happening again with mutants. Um, they're they're I think they're introducing that portion wrong, just like popping up. Yeah, they're just I'm kind of mutant. throwing it into there. Yeah, like, totally. Kind of like a like a. Like a uh, what is it, Mortal Kombat? Toasty! <laughs> like, I'm a mutant. Leave. There you go. Like, but, it, it's going to be interesting how they do do the next arc with with Doom, or if it's the X-Men, then it has to be Apocalypse, which which Fox mm, ruined. Yeah. As much as I love, as I love uh, Oscar Isaac's acting. Um, yeah, it was, it was goofy. There's no reason why 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 Apocalypse needs to be five foot two. <laughs> like this man's a little giant. Yeah, uh, I mean, on top of it, like what's so fu- funny is like First Class was really good. I loved First Class. Yes. Everything after that was just mediocre to bad. Like, and then they 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 started following the same formula they've been doing, and it's just like this is so stupid. What's going on? I don't even care about these characters. I like Quicksilver. That's it. <laughs> like I like uh, was it Logan. I enjoyed Logan. Yeah, Logan was great. Um, X Men Origins Wolverine. Mm-hmm. God, how I, I I love Deadpool and I love that Ryan Reynolds is making fun of what they did before because character's name is literally the Merc with a mouth. Yeah, and they Late. showed his mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> made no sense. Um, I mean that's another. Uh, pseudo franchise that's that's following the same script like Deadpool 1 was great Deadpool 2 eh, not so much um and they keep doing it over and over like when are we gonna get our T2 moment like 
When is there going to be a, a sequel to a movie that's just that amazing. makes you forget the first? Yeah, amazing. Like T two is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, probably one of the best action films of all time. Uh, but I don't I don't know any movies that have done that, especially not like anything Disney's produced. No, yeah. Like, like I mean, Star Wars is one of the exceptions with um, Empire Strikes Back. Also one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but that wasn't Disney, like I, that was just OG I George think Lucas. the closest Disney has gotten was with Ragnarok. Yeah, okay, so Ragnarok was third time's the charm type deal. Yeah, and um, then I know everybody loves Winter Soldier more than uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. But I like... The origin story was told right. I sure. like the origin story. Um, if they mess up the origin story and then come out with another movie and the next movie's better, like I think the second Venom movie was better than the first. I never actually saw the second one. I saw the first one. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And then I never saw the second one. Like I know there was like like whenever they introduce an actor to a character, there's always hate about it. Like Heath Ledger and the Joker, so much hate. Um. Woody Harrelson, I liked him as... as Carnage, Carnage. Cletus Cassidy. Yeah. Um, I think makeup, costuming could have been a little different. Well, I mean, it's just all CG. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, when they show um, Cletus Cassidy, like, on his own, like, his hair was a little... Yeah, it did look fake. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, like, I love Woody Harrelson. Um, And and I think he did the role correctly. You know who I'd love to have seen in that, that scene is Michael C. Hall. Dexter... Mm. Ever see Dexter? Yeah, and from Six Feet Under. Yeah. Like that, I think he would have played the role very well, too. He was also in a movie called <laughs> Gamer uh, that had um, Gerard Butler in it. Oh, I remember that movie. He was where... fantastic in that, too. Um, I know he had a cancer uh, diagnosis, but I think he's been cleared of that. Um, I'm hoping I'm wrong. And I know, I, I don't know if it came out yet or not, there was a reboot of uh, Dexter. Yeah, and I don't think anyone watched it. <laughs> Did it come out? I think so. Dexter New, New Blood? Blood? Oh, it's on Showtime and nobody owns yeah, Showtime. Yeah, nobody likes Showtime, so why would you get it? Um, you know, I'll, I'll give that a try, because I know the, the first series ended, you know, a little weird. People didn't enjoy it too much. Um, it's, it's also hard to end a series um, perfectly. Like, I think the best ending to a series ever was... Um, the show about methamphetamines. I can't remember. Breaking Bad? <laughs> yes. I think Breaking Bad ended perfectly. The meth show. Yes. The show about drugs and New Mexico. So, just New Mexico. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we showed you what, uh, or talked about what uh, things that we enjoy, things that we've experienced. Um, hopefully, you enjoyed this journey as well. Um, well, currently we're, we're, you know, this is our first inaugural stream. I totally mispronounced that. Inaugural. Inaugural stream. We're the hard. Um, so, so you know, this is, we're, we're going to be making things a lot better in the future. But, I mean, we're we're just sitting here talking and I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the conversations we've been having. We hope to actually have conversations with you as well. Yeah, and then... Uh, this podcast, um, we are uploading on Acast, and I believe Acast puts it everywhere else. Not exactly sure. Um, but uh, eventually you'll still find it on YouTube uh, under 
the guttural response. We also do Twitch streaming. Uh, sometimes we do commentary for uh, live events, specifically Magic, um, which is fun but also draining. I have to admit, after doing a legacy stream for like 11 hours straight, I wanted to kill someone, <laughs> um, especially since it's legacy. And legacy is just like... It's a good format, but at the same time, it has a lot of issues, and Wizards doesn't care, because it's legacy. It's all reserve list crap, yeah. so nobody, <laughs> nobody has any... Nobody cares because it's not getting the money. Um, so, um, and if you upload this and you have any questions or any music you'd like to recommend for us to talk about, um, hopefully in a heavier genre, um, just email us response at gmail.com. Um, soon it'll be the one of our names at thegutturalresponse.com. Working on the website as well, coming soon. Um, but once again, my name is Marvin. My name is Michael. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening.